If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, then welcome to the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where a couple guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like, just not sports. On today's show, we'll talk to Portland Timbers defender Nat Borchers, who defends real estate on the pitch, but pitches real estate off it. And we'll also go deep on Pro Stars, the Saturday morning cartoon where Michael Jordan, Bo Jackson, and Wayne Gretzky teamed up to fight crime. And we will even give you some bonus content this week with an interview with the man who voiced the great one himself to learn just how difficult it was to fake a Canadian accent, or not fake it, as it it were. (laughs) I am your co-host, Brad Burke. I'm a sports marketer in Chicago. Joining me on the phone right now, a fresh-faced sports media strategist who has worked for the University of Colorado, the Green Bay Packers, and many global sports brands. It's Adam Willard. Adam, how are you, my friend? I'm good. You're serious about this being a, a real thing, this fresh-faced thing. I am serious about it. You were called fresh-faced by the preeminent NFL writer in the country and former Just Not Sports guest, Peter King. 11 years ago, when I was fresh-faced and not beaten down. You're always fresh-faced. You are, you are like a mosquito encapsulated in amber to me, my friend. You are always the young, fresh-faced idealist that we, uh, that we remember from that Monday morning quarterback column. Adam, you are uh, apparently as old as dinosaurs. How's that feel? I've got underwear older than you. Yeah, it's, that's probably true. All right, moving on. <laughs> moving on. Look at Joe. Listen to Joe and the confidence he's gained. Listen to Joe is right. That is our producer, Joe Reed, stepping in for other co-host, Gareth Hughes, who is busy decompressing after a month covering the Final Four. Joe, how are you doing today, buddy? I'm doing very well. It's good to be here. It's been uh, a busy week already, but it's nice to sit down with you guys and take a load off. This is you're all over this episode. So we're, as I mentioned, it's right after the Final Four. We're all very busy. So you, we're a little bit mishmashed here. So uh, Joe and I are on for, for certain parts. Then Adam's back. Adam's on the phone now. He's in studio later. It's a little bit of a mind job here, but just hang with us. Guys, we do a podcast and we have a real job, so excuse us for not always being together. I, some, <laughs> so, some, of my, some of our regular listeners, a.k.a. my friends, have mentioned this fact. We've got a really jam-packed show, so we're going to be very efficient in the front here. So let's get right to it. On this show, we don't just invite people on. We publicly invite them on because they have expressed an interest in something that is not their sports. We call this slamming the hammer. Adam, who do you want to slam the hammer to this week, buddy? Um, you know, I'm really surprised this person hasn't come up, but as I've watched um, the Lakers in the news a lot later, this man comes to mind, and it's Meta World Peace. I don't believe we've mentioned him, have we yet, Brad? No, I don't think so. Also known as Ron Artest, this gentleman could talk about a number of things. He has been on television, including Dancing with the Stars. He's an advocate for mental health issues. He's also a hip-hop artist. He is the founder of our test media group, uh, and he has a song that's near and dear to my heart called uh, Blood in My Gatorade. 
<laughs> He's got bl- blood in your in my Gatorade is a real song. I got blood in my Gatorade. I remain different. That's the hook. Uh, if you write a song named Blood in the Gatorade, you can come on every week. You can host. How about Joe? Boot up some Blood in the Gatorade. Go right now, buddy. I said blood in my And Grammy. Get that done. Ron, Ron, a.k.a. Meta World Peace. The hammer has been slammed. You're coming on Just Not Sports. Stepping in for Gareth. Joe, your first ever hammer to slam. Don't blow it. Who you got? I'm super nervous about this. So I wanted to slam the hammer to an author, YouTube entertainer, uh, you know, all around good guy, John Green. I've been following mm-hmm. him and his brother for a long time. Um, they do this YouTube channel, The Vlog Brothers. The reason I want to talk to him is he is closely involved with the English soccer team, AFC Wimbledon. Um, they are outward or outspoken proponents of uh, good sportsmanship and they are pro um, LGBT community. And John has now partnered with, um, with them to sponsor one of their stands in the stadium. And so I'd just be curious to get his his perspective on what it's like to not only be a super fan, but also, you know, have your brand's logo on their shorts and sponsor part of their stadium and be just all about this team. So it's kind of a weird backwards. He's not in sports, but you know what I mean. Adam, how'd Joe do? Joe did a really good job. Yeah. I Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying not to encourage him because he's getting, I feel like, it might lead to cockiness, um, and it will ruin the lives of people around him. Um, but good job, Joe. Oh, thank you very much, Adam. I appreciate that. So you're the anti-John Green. John Green uh, helping sportsmanship Joe, ruining <laughs> ruining the lives of people around him by praising John Green. It all comes full circle on this show. My hammer, guys. I'm going to keep it in the Lakers family this week, Adam. I think we've given him a hammer before, but he's got so many things to slam it on. So... Shaquille O'Neal, newly minted member of the Basketball Hall of Fame, uh, announced this week he's going to be inducted in this year's class. He is the Just Not Sports Renaissance Man of the Century for his contributions to rap music, to wearing overalls in rap videos, to acting in everything from Blue Chips to Kazam to, I mean, the guy basically gives us Whenever we can't think of ideas in the show, we're like, well, let's just IMDB Shaq and just see what that guy had going on in the 90s. Shaquille O'Neal, come on. We'll talk about your smorgasbord of amazing off-the-field pursuits. And uh, let's, Adam, my my promise to the listeners, to all the beautiful and unique Sparkle Ponies, my promise is we're going to get Shaquille O'Neal on by the end of 2016. Really? It's your promise? It's my promise. Wow, I'm impressed. Don't hold me to that, America. And with that. Other thing, guys, your T-shirts are in. Next time I see you, you will have them. I've I've worn mine publicly twice now, so that means I need to get you your T-shirts. Ooh, exciting. Adam, is there a way for people to get one of these T-shirts? Yes, there's a way for people to get these T-shirts. If you can produce evidence that you left five or more iTunes reviews or got uh, five or more people to leave an iTunes review, we will send you a t-shirt for free. So please 
Tell your friends to go to iTunes. Uh, if you need a tutorial, uh, call Joe. <laughs> All right. So those are our hammers. If you got someone you want us to talk to, email us, justnotsports at gmail.com or tweet us at justnotsports. Right now, we're going to go to our interview with MLS star Nat Borchers of the Portland Timbers to talk about real estate investment. Uh, we got Nat uh, during a break uh, in his game schedule. He's in season. The cell phone connection was not the best. So apologies for that. Just want to warn people off the top, but it's such a fun interview. You know, we figured let, let's do it. Then we're going to get super deep onto Pro Stars, the Saturday morning cartoon, and even break it all down with the voice of the great one himself, Townsend Coleman. Stick around. We will be back after this. Joining us on the show right now is Nat Borchers. Nat is the heart and soul of the Portland Timbers, one of the country's most beloved teams in any sport. Last year, behind his steady defending, the Timbers captured their first ever MLS Cup championship. And while he's a talented defender on the pitch, away from the game, Nat goes on the offensive looking for real estate. Today, we're going to break down his passion for property, and we'll see if he can finally break my streak of losing money on all the homes that I've purchased. So Nat, thank you for joining. How are you? <laughs> I'm great, Brad. How are you doing? Doing good. So I got I to gotta start right there. Um, we'll, we'll break it down in a little bit more detail. I, I am a three-time homeowner uh, here living in Chicago. I have lost money on my first two homes. Uh, I'm really hopeful that the new one <laughs> pans out because it was <laughs> by far the most expensive. I'm curious. I have nothing. Having done that, I, I have this mix of optimism and also sort of insecurity about my decisions. Uh, tell me a little bit about how you got into this, and and just how do you how do how do you as a as an athlete greet this industry, which is um, has so many ups and downs and nuances, both in the local and national real estate market. Like, what is it about this that draws draws you in? Mm, well, that's uh, that's a great question. Well. I would say I started getting into real estate uh, about 10 years ago in Denver, Colorado, when I started playing uh, soccer professionally there. Did my first uh, my first deal there. It was back in the days when you could get a loan for just stating your income and writing your name out on a piece of paper, and they just give you about 95% of the purchase price for a house. And uh, my, my buddy and I bought a house. We fixed it up, and uh, we sold it for a profit. And uh, I was pretty much hooked from there. Being a professional athlete, you know, I know that my my income stream is limited to my 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 health and and, and my value on the field. So I know someday I'm going to have to hang them up and I'm going to have to live off an income stream. So I started getting into real estate, thinking, okay, maybe I can live off this once I'm playing professional soccer. And well, like you, I've had my 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 ups and downs as an investor. I've lost money on properties, but um, you know, I, I've also learned a lot after losing money and uh, I, I've gained some valuable knowledge and then now I, I try to make smarter deals. When you lose money, how do you not have it be crippling? Because I had a stretch after I, lo- after I lost my first money on my first condo and I'm not being facetious. I, this is not going to be a rip job on real estate. I have a lot of positive experiences about the industry. Uh, but the, the first time I bought a condo for like 75 grand in like Peoria, Illinois, and I sold it for, you know, like 70 and it just felt like, Oh, I screwed up. I just didn't do it right. But the markets fluctuate and you have to be willing to incur some of the risks. So, so what's the key for an investor to, to go after multiple deals or to, um, to get into this world and to retain that, that confidence? 
Oh, that's a great question. I think a lot of investors look at different things when they look at, at deals. So some investors look at equity and appreciation, and some of the investors on the other end of the spectrum, like myself, look at cash flow. And so I look at deals that, uh, you know, with the financing involved, with the purchase price, the maintenance, the property management, insurance, taxes, all those things that, that make money. So I'm looking at, uh, you know, at deals, you know, um, for single-family properties, their duplexes, triplexes, fourplexes, uh, the cash flow. And, uh, you know, sometimes um, you have to make a few mistakes uh, in, in, in the process in order to, to understand what works for you and what doesn't. And that's kind of a strategy that works for me is, is buying cash flow properties. So how, mu- how much real estate do you, are you dealing with? And I'm not talking to you about like cash numbers, but I just mean like kind of volume of properties. Like, and what's your model? Are you, are you like sort of a licensed, are, are you just purely investor or are you sort of a licensed agent doing work for other investor groups or other individual consumers? So I, I do hold a, an inactive real estate license in the state of Utah where I was um, basically representing myself uh, in, in transactions. So I was selling my own properties. I was buying my own properties and acting as my own agent. Um, but right now, uh, I, I'm actually I have an inactive license and I'm here in Portland and I'm still trying to buy properties in Utah. So my, my focus is I've got a small little area in Salt Lake City that uh, I buy properties and I just love, I love the area. I love the numbers. I, I love the returns. And, you know, I, I love the uh, limited amount of maintenance it takes on some of these properties because they're newer properties and uh, they're easy to maintain. Yeah, I was going to ask you whether you're a fixer-upper guy or someone who wants to get in on on some of the newer developments. What's your preference? You know, I, I, uh, I prefer, uh, I'm, I'm more of a long-term uh, buy-and-hold kind of guy. So, uh, you know, I like to go in. Uh, with a certain amount uh, of, of capital, so we're, we're talking. If you want, if you want the numbers, uh, we're talking about you know thirty to forty grand down, and then maybe fifteen to 10, 10 grand uh, in uh, in capital in terms of fixed costs. And um, you know, there, there's the way I like to do it is. Sorry, that's my that's my son in the background. He's excited. <laughs> that's um, okay. <laughs> I I, you know, I prefer to I prefer to to buy these these properties with with hard money. And what hard money is, is I use another investor's money uh, to buy the property at a discount. So I can, I can close in two or three days. I fix the property up. And then on the back end, I get long-term financing through NMA Freddie Mac with a 30-year fixed mortgage. And then I'm able to basically acquire a property at 10%, 20% discount with less capital out of my pocket. When you're, in, when you're buying an investment property, um... I, I'm trying to picture you know you, you're in great shape. I'm just picturing you kind of running in, knocking down walls, tearing up carpet. Uh, is that the case, or are you uh, are you someone that that's uh, that's not going to just jump in there and risk uh, inhaling a mountain full of asbestos <laughs> for no reason? <laughs> no, not at all, not at all. I I, uh, I stay away from that that stuff because you know I'm 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 34 years old. I'm a professional athlete. You know I, I use my body to. to to perform and, and, you know, I need it to, to produce for me on the field. So I can't be going through houses and knocking down walls and pulling up carpet and, and getting too dirty. You know, I, I built up some very good relationships within the Salt Lake community and that's um, given me the opportunity to, to really focus on just finding deals, which is I think more important than doing the dirty work. 
Now, now I don't know if these uh, if this is maybe dealing with smaller fish than you would be interested in, but I'm curious your <laughs> thoughts on like the Airbnb VRBO marketplace, sort of this boom in rental like properties or you know weekends. Like, do you have interest or do you you know dabble in any of that you know owned properties that you then are Rent are, are renting out? Yeah. What What are your thoughts on that? No, you know, I, I uh, my my business model is more focused on you know long term uh, buy and holds. You know, I'm not I'm not trying to do any sort of short term uh, rentals. You know, I think that's a higher end market and it's a niche that I don't really want to focus on. I want to focus on you know, getting a, a nice clean property. Um, you know, that's good for a family. You know, a four bed, one and a half bath. That's good for a nice family. Um, you know, a couple uh, people that uh, want to. You want to move all their stuff, put it in the basement, stay there for years and years and years, and then pay down my mortgage. Yeah. The, the, just the market in general, Nat, um, what did, what did, what did we learn, um, in the real estate industry from the housing crisis of the late 2000s? And how has the industry evolved and adapted um, since then, both on the consumer side in terms of the way they educate themselves and, and go into the market, and then on the investment side for um, the people like yourself who are, um, you know, maybe trying to own and, and, um, and hold uh, several properties? That's a, that's a great question. You know, I, I think that uh, we've learned to, to be a little bit more cautious now, you know, and, and I'm open a little bit less speculative. You know, I think that, the, the market, you know, the when it got inflated, was driven, you know, in, in two parts. You know, first by the fact that the financing was readily available to anybody who could, uh, you know, have a have a pulse, and then, uh, you know, secondarily, people, you know, were under the assumption that prices would continue to, to rise, you know, uh, without right. any thought at all to uh, the underlying factors of the financing or, um, you know, other market conditions, you know, interest rates, um, you know, oil. Um, you know, GDP, you know, greater economic factors. And, and that's where I think a lot of people got in trouble. And I got in trouble. I, I lost a, a lot of money on a condo in Salt Lake City that I purchased in 2008. And I lost it, you know, because I was thinking, oh, I'm just going to buy this. I'm not concerned about the long-term uh, effects. I'm just going to rent it out when I'm, when I'm living there and I can sell it, you know, if I don't want it, I'll make money. And nope, I sure didn't. And, uh, you know, that definitely helps me. <laughs> I, I did the same thing. I bought my place in like 05. I sold it in uh, midway through 2007, um, a condo that I had at the time. And I just, it, it really just it was such a sinking feeling, especially like people down the block from me were selling their places at a profit three months before. And then I got right in on the start of the, the bubble bursting. And that was, it's just, it was demoralizing. But um, uh, like I said, you know, you just, you just got to rebound. What about like when you're looking for property, what are you looking for? Because this is another one of those areas where when I went to buy, it reminds me of buying a diamond ring for my fiance. Like every place I went was like, oh, it's not the cut. It's the color. It's not the color. It's this. Like everybody I talked to about property was like, oh, you should be looking at X, Y, or Z, but they all had a different combination. So do you have sort of a magic a magic combination that you look for in terms of um, either a local market or, or certain properties that, that you want to attack? Yeah, I mean that's that's absolutely a great point. I think everybody has their their own way of approaching real estate, and everybody's learned different lessons in the game. And again, for me, you know, it was about speculation. It was about you know, uh, I don't want to assume that these properties go up in value instantly. I'm going to have equity. Uh, you know, I want to just focus on the fundamentals 
want to focus on the numbers. Uh, I know I, I have uh, an accounting background from college, and I'm an Excel spreadsheet guy. So whenever I look at a property, I'm looking at, okay, what do I want to pay for this property, and do the numbers work? And, and you have to, you know, if you're a cash flow investor, you have to make sure that the numbers work. And for me, I just focus on, you know, plugging in that purchase price, and then uh, everything else inputs um, their values, and it, at the end of it, it spits out a number, and that number is your your net operating income. That's your profit, and, and if that's a positive number, and and that's a, a return that I like, then I'm going to go for it. And, and if it's not, then I'm going to walk away from the deal. What's your negotiating style like? Because like on the field, man, you've you, you're an intimidator. You've got, um, you know, you're you're very athletic. How do you translate? Um, your style into a tough negotiation? <laughs> uh, well, you know, I, I think when it comes to negotiating, uh, you, you have to be smart. You know, it, it's always uh, the person that, um, that uh, you know, mentions the first number, you know, is always losing. And you have to, you have to know what the the customer wants, what the client wants, what the the the, the seller wants. And I think a lot of times people rush into deals and, and they mention the, the the first number that pops in their head, you know, and, and they end up uh, you know getting on the wrong end of the deal. So I like to come in and I like to say, okay, what do you want to sell this for? And we always start from there. And then you know it can be a process that takes a day. It can be a process that takes weeks. It can be a process I work with with sellers that it's taken a year to get them to a point where they're comfortable working with me and, and they want to sell to me. So, you know, it's, it's always a process. It's never perfect. There's always something that comes up in, in negotiating that's it's always different. You know, I know you're you talking about real estate from the investment side, but there's a personal passion that's clear. I found that looking at looking for a home helped me discover my own preferences, my own personal style, uh, architecture, as well as um, uh, just like decor, all the other things. I'm curious as someone who's got a passion for this, has it helped you ingrain a very um, set architectural style or, or personal preference around your home? Um, or are you someone that um, can kind of live anywhere as long as it's like in the right location or, or it's the right situation? Uh, well, you know, I, I think that for me, you know, I, I'm more just purely uh, about the, the numbers uh, and, and, and if yeah. the numbers work, you know, it's something that I like, you know, if I was a fix and flipper, uh, there's a lot of, you know, a, a lot of successful investors who, who are constantly looking for that, 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 that next kind of pizzazz, you know, that, that little wow factor in, in properties. And you know, those guys are always, always so focused on that. I, I always see it in their own houses. So they, they, they want to have this, they want to have that. For me, I'm pretty simple. My, my wife and I are very simple. So uh, we're not really focused on that stuff because again, we're cash flow investors. Nat, I'm picturing you on the road in Columbus the night before a big game, you know, at your hotel looking at local listings. Um, <laughs> right. You know, if you had, you know, maybe a dream scenario, maybe purely based on the numbers, what other, you know, markets that you've been to, maybe other MLS markets, would you be interested in or are you eyeing maybe of, ooh, that's that's where I'd like to maybe take my business next, if if you could? Uh, great question. You know, I, I, I do like to look at, at local listings of the paper. Uh, you see what uh, what areas are hot, what what areas you know are selling, and, and what you know what median you know home prices are. Because I think that you know every every market is different, and, and every market is doing different things. Uh, you know, if if I could uh, if I could go back in time, I would I would have loved to invest in Dallas about ten years ago. Dallas is yep. such a hot market right now. You know, especially when it comes to commercial real estate, you know, big apartment buildings and 
um, you know, there were signs of it, you know, when I was, when I was down there 10 years ago, just playing games and I was looking at the market, I was like, wow, there's some very, very good deals here. The numbers look really, really good. Um, I, I just, I didn't see the growth. I didn't see the long-term, uh, the long-term numbers. And then, you know, all of a sudden, boom, and this is such a hot market. So, um, if I could go back to time, I'd go there. I, I like Columbus because Columbus, you know, is a very, um, investor friendly place and you can get in. Um, with, with a low amount of capital, and then you can find some really good rentals there. Do guys on the team, I mean, because in professional sports, people come and go, they move around quite a bit. Um, do guys on the team call you a lot and they're like, hey, I hear you are the number <laughs> one resource here, my friend. Help me, help me find a good deal. Or do, you, do they leave, do they mostly kind of don't mix that way? Uh, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of guys you know, who, who get into the game because they get traded, you know, they, they get, they get uh, a rental property because they were living in it uh, in some condo downtown or some house uh, in the suburbs and they get traded. So then they're forced uh, into becoming a landlord and into, into becoming, you know, a, a renter and, or sorry, to, to renting their place out. And, and you know, it, it's tough because you, know, you, you learn things the hard way when you, you do it the first time. Um, so I do, I do talk to a lot of guys about that. And, you know, I, I have a lot of, you know, books at my disposal. So anytime a guy's like, Hey, you know, what's going on here? I'm like, maybe I'm not the best person to answer this question, but maybe if you read this book, uh, you can learn a lot yourself. Nat, uh, to bring it back to the markets for a second, I, I might get a, a bit of uh, information advice out of you while I've got you on the phone. So my brother might be uh, moving to the Portland area soon. And I, and I'm curious, <laughs> I do for, not endorse this question. Uh, yeah, he does Nat. not. So I'm no, just generally curious for, you know, maybe Portland fans or, or people who are listening who, who have, are interested in the area. What are your, what are your go-tos? What are your favorite maybe areas not to, you know, divide the city up, but what, what is your advice for maybe looking at the Portland area? What is your read on, on that area of, of the country? Oh man, Portland, Portland is hot. It is such a hot market out here. I, I, I just, I, I've <laughs> already seen, you know, I've already seen some teammates uh, try to get into some fields and, and buy some properties and they're, they're, they're having, this is how crazy it is. And, and this is, uh, the majority of metro Portland area is that you're having to you're having to put down uh, a bid on a property at 10 percent over asking price just to even get in the front door. Man, wow. and that's and that's and for me and for me that that kind of turned me off about about you know trying to get involved in this market because I'm just seeing you know a, a lot of speculation and a lot of people paying too much for properties and you know I, I just don't know if it's sustainable you know i look back you know 10 years ago um you know seven years ago to to the crap the, the crash behind the real estate market there was a lot of this um you know and and it, it it's, it's related to the growth i mean portland was just booming there's a ton of of um of, you know new new population coming in and a lot of great business you know being built here and you know that, that obviously contributes to, to to the real estate prices we have but uh you know I, i'm trying to stay away from portland i don't think it, it, it's for me right now so well there's a lot of there's a lot of really angry timbers fans who really wanted you to be their next door neighbor so we'll uh <laughs> <laughs> we'll let them recover um <laughs> One, one last, just a few more real quick things. Um, do you watch like home buying, home selling, fixer upper type shows? I, I, I know there's been a boom in in this sort of market in the last five or five or so years. Is that something that attracts you, or you seem like a pretty by the numbers, get into your own research type of guy? I didn't know if you if you see the entertainment value in those particular shows. Ooh. 
Uh, you know, yes and no. You know, sometimes, sometimes I'll, I'll stay up late night. You know, we're on the road. There's nothing else to watch. And I'll, I'll watch one of those shows because it is interesting to see what what's selling now and to see what 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 buyers are looking for because it, it seems like it's constantly changing. You know, what kind of colors, uh, you know, color schemes are working. You know, what kind of layouts are working. What kind of wow factors, you know, are are are, are, are buyers looking for. Um, you know, and and uh, you know, it, I think I, I find some of the more interesting cities like. Toronto and, and Vancouver, some of these Canadian cities are, are really fun to kind of see what sells and and what the you know what the you know how price per square foot is such a big thing you know kind of how, how much it costs per square foot to buy some of these places because it's just different everywhere you know. Yeah, I watch a lot of those shows just to, like in pure Schadenfreude when they say like here's a three bedroom like two bath for a million dollars in San Francisco or in, in Toronto. And I'm like, okay, that's not as bad as in Chicago or, you know, that's, or it's way worse than Chicago. Though, so that's fine. Yeah. It, it's, it's incredible. You know, how, how each market can differ. And, you know, you, you talk about, you know, real estate just being, you know, local. It's so true. I mean, obviously there's, there's, there are fundamentals, there are economic um, numbers that, that will, have effects on markets, but, you know, it seems like, you know, all these markets can, can be so different at so many different periods of time. So to close out, we know that athletes have to take those really annoying aptitude tests, like the wonder lick. Um, so on just not sports, we've created the wonder like, which is five questions about the thing that you like. So I've got five questions about real estate locked and loaded. I think oh, you're boy. a four. You're, I think you're a four out of five guy, maybe five out of five. I think, I think you're going to nail these, but, but let's, let's see, no pressure. Okay, is this multiple choice or is this going to be straight out? Oh no, this brand? is this is the real deal, my friend. This is uh, no <laughs> holds barred. You just got to roll it out. All, All right. right. All right. Question one: What 2015 Oscar-nominated movie followed a group of investors who made billions betting against the housing market bubble? The Big Short. That is right. One for one. See, no no multiple choice needed. I didn't need to rock out like a, a revenant there or anything like that. I knew you'd get it. You had me worried. I was about to bring out my computer and get a spreadsheet going. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not going to ask you about like local trends in like a particular real like neighborhood in Utah. Um, I'm like sweating here, guys. <laughs> All, right. All right. So number two, speaking of those shows on late night, the HGTV show Property Brothers features Jonathan and Drew Scott buying and restoring homes. Which of the brother, Jonathan or Drew, is the real estate agent? I'm going to go with Drew. I, it was Jonathan. I'm sorry. 50-50. Oh, <laughs> Drew, Drew is the much more dreamy and handsome uh, 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 developer. Um, but okay. no offense, Jonathan fans. All right. So one for one for two. So number three, Donald Trump's first book on real estate and business was called The Art of the What? The art of the deal. Exactly. Back, back on the horse. We like it. You got the, you got the equalizer. We're good. We're yes. good. Yes, we're back All in right. Back in number, number four. In a 2015 report on the most expensive real estate markets in the country, nine out of the top 10 most expensive cities are in what state? It's got to be California. It is California. Very nice. Um, and then finally, what type of home style is named after a famous English royal family? Tudor. The Tudor. Yes. Excellent. Oh, 
Look, I, I called it four to five, man. No sweat <laughs> at all. Time. No sweat at all. So, Nat, um, one of the things we want to do before we let you go, and, and it's been so great talking to you about real estate. We love when athletes have really distinct, really um, ingrained passions away from sports. Um, but we also know you're, you're very involved with the Timbers um, community platform, Stand Together. Can you, do you mind talking a little bit about what you do with them and the work you guys um, put into the Portland community? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, the Stand Together is a great relationship we have with the community. Uh, the Portland Timbers and the, the Portland community have such a great um, a, a great combination of, of uh, this relationship that, uh, you know, we, we, we just enjoy so much from a player standpoint. So, uh, you know, we, we take a week out of out of the year where all the players on the entire team, uh, player number one, all the way down to player number 28, uh, spend time in the community, uh, just getting to know um, a certain niche in the community, uh, helping um, helping kindergartners reading, um, you know, cleaning up, uh, you know, poor areas of town, um, you know, feeding, uh, help feeding the homeless, you know, things like that. And it's it's such an incredible, um, you know, thing that that uh, that most professional organizations don't do, and something that we do, and we're really proud of it. And uh, you know, I I really you know enjoy. Uh, my time in the community and um, hoping to to do a lot more this year. Yeah, you mentioned the community. I mean, how passionate are those fans up there? Because you know, I, I work with MLS. I work with US Soccer quite a bit. I've I've had a chance to see up a little bit up close and personal. Um, you know, the the fanfare in Portland around soccer. But when you went there, did did it? How far did it exceed your expectations for how that community has rallied around that team? Yeah, uh, far and above exceeded my expectations. You know, I, I came here as a you know, as an opponent on a, you know, on real Salt Lake place to play for them. And, you know, we, we, we used, you, you felt it in the crowd. There was this electricity, there was this vibe, this atmosphere that you couldn't duplicate in, in major league soccer. And then off the field, you've got like another, gosh, you know, I don't know, 80,000 people who are just like so tuned into the, to the game, love the games, you know, we'll stop here in the street to talk soccer, um, and they just love it. I mean, I have a guy who tattooed a picture of me um, holding MLS Cup on his chest, riding a chariot <laughs> with being pulled by pink unicorns. I mean, this is this is the kind of fanfare you get in in a soccer city like this. Well, I'm going to have a tattoo on my chest that's you on the unicorn closing a house. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait to see that one. Yeah, right. Well, uh, well, we just want to thank you so much for joining us. Wish you the best in your next real estate deal. Tell our uh, listeners to follow you at Nat Borchers on Twitter. And uh, thank you so much for the time and best of luck the rest of the season. Thank you so much for having me on, guys. It was a pleasure. Back in the early 1990s, the only thing to watch on Saturday mornings was reruns of SportsCenter, or cartoons. And then came Pro Stars, which combined the best of both worlds. Joe, let's take a listen. That song has not aged a day. Love it. Love it. Pro Stars followed the adventures of Michael Jordan, Bo Jackson, and Wayne Gretzky as they battled supervillains, helped little kids, and wove in marketing slogans wherever they could. (laughs) 
The show was canceled after one epic season, but it left a lasting legacy that persists to this day. Because, Adam, is it just me? Or did pro stars invent the fist bump? Did they invent the fist bump? Well, it wasn't a straight fist bump as much as it was like a raising hands into a circle. Sure. Sure, Brad, because I see the look of glee on your face, (laughs) ProStars invented the fist bump. Thank you. Okay, so I I went down a YouTube or a Google rabbit hole on this. The fist bump has been attributed to everyone from Stan Musial, which way earlier. Really? To the Wonder Twins from like Wonder Twins Activate, to all sorts of other players throughout the history. But I know what you're talking about. So their thing, Jordan, Bo, and Wayne, when they're like, Celebrating, they would kind of raise their hands up into a tri, like a, into a triangle. They'd all meet at the top point. But in at least one episode that I saw, Michael and Bo jumped up and kind of like went to double high five, and they did it with the their wrists and their fists. Oh, and I was like, right. that might be the first fist bump that I can remember. Uh, in in my childhood, yes, that would probably be the first fist bump I can remember. Well, if so, it's an important contribution to American society. And another reason why this should be uh, in the national archives for all time. Being a germaphobe, you seem like a fist bump guy. I am a, no, it's all the same, man. You're going to get germs touching the fist. I'm not Howie Mandel. Howie Mandel famously, uh, famously would not shake hands. He always does fist bump. Howard Stern as well. He's a fist bump guy. Mm -hmm. Really? See, I'm someone who's just like, I'll just make an excuse. I'll just have like a bunch of stuff when I walk into a meeting. And I'm like, oh, hi, give the head nods and stuff. And then I'll like walk around holding the stuff like, oh, hey, hey, hey. And then I'll like sit it all down. Interesting. I don't do it on every meeting. I'll shake hands. But then if I shake hands, I'll excuse myself and go to the bathroom and wash hands. Huh. <laughs> we, 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 uh, we can spend a whole episode on your We can spend a whole day on this. So they definitely, the show invented the fist bump. Here's how it broke down. Michael Jordan was the genius. Yes. Saying stuff like, typically <laughs> metaphysical manifestations like these are perfectly harmless. Amazing. Uh, I also think it's funny that he is the numbers guy and in real life had some interesting off-the-court numbers dealings as well. You mean his gambling? I do. Alleged gambling, Adam. Alleged. Wayne Gretzky was the comic relief. Also... Constant food references. Constant food references. So I had to, I really had to think about this quite a bit. Was that them reacting to like Michelangelo on, um, on Ninja Turtles? Who? Coincidentally. Go ahead and say it. (laughs) Uh, Coincidentally, the actor who voiced both Michelangelo on Ninja Turtles and Wayne Gretzky on Pro Stars, same guy. We're going to have him on. So he's always asking about food. And I couldn't, I couldn't tell. Was like this a thing? Did, did they, was this something that like other characters did? So Michelangelo was always talking about pizza. Maybe they thought Wayne, will, it'll be funny. He's always hungry. I have a theory on this. Okay. So please, please, sir, the floor is yours. I believe that Pro Stars was trying to capitalize on two very popular cartoons at the time. Ninja Turtles and Captain Planet. Because if you look at the archetypes of the characters in Pro Stars, you have Michael Jordan, who's much like Donatello and kind of Leonardo combined. 
You have Wayne Gretzky, clearly there, as you said, the comic relief, much like Michelangelo in the Ninja Turtles. And, and Captain then, Planet and Captain Planet, who's always cracking jokes. <laughs> right. No. And then Bo Jackson's character, who was kind of, if you watch this 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 cartoon closely, kind of has a mean streak, which was yeah. also true of Raphael. He was kind of rough around the edges in the cartoon. And then, but if you look at the antagonists, there were always environmental issues. So it was like trying to save a rainforest in Brazil. Like a lot of environmental crimes, for whatever reason, were popular in the show Pro Stars. Did you like the food jokes? No? I just don't know that it was true to Wayne Gretzky. It was weird, right? Because he's not... He's someone not, you'd be like, well, Wayne's putting back another pizza. Like Wayne Gretzky was Wayne, not even the biggest hockey player. Wayne Gretzky, and he's not, I don't mean this uh, to criticize him. He's not particularly f- funny. Oh, as, a, as an athlete. Right. I thought, I thought that, like, and this is, isn't just me sucking up to a potential guest. Like, I thought he was good in terms of, like, as the show went on, I thought some of his lines were delivered kind oh, of his funny. Character, his character, yes. were I fine. mean, the yeah. actual Wayne Gretzky is not funny, which I thought yeah. it was an interesting portrayal of his, his true persona. The problem with Pro Stars, and there, the, look, I'm really going deep because it's flawless. The, the problem with Pro Stars is that they could not get the, the villain aspect of it right. Like, in the, in the pilot, <laughs> they have to go... To did you guys watch the pilot? Yeah, they go to the okay. museum. They go to the museum. Okay. Yeah. First of all, that tell me that the father, who's the commissioner of baseball, doesn't look exactly like Roger Goodell. <laughs> wow. Exactly like Roger. You, Goodell. We are getting deep. We will tweet that <laughs> at, at Just Not Sports. He looks exactly like Roger Goodell. He's got red hair. He's he fills out a suit like you wouldn't believe, like a Dick Tracy character. Anyway, the whole plot is the commissioner has been kidnapped. So that a guy named Clockwork LaRange, La- La- uh-huh. Clockwork Orange, oh, yeah. a kid's thing. So he's going to kidnap the commissioner and then hold baseball hostage to get him back so that it'll bankrupt baseball. It's like, what? No, just kidnap the kid. Right. <laughs> like, just do you, something evil. You're saying the storyline was like, it, like I don't need a, I don't need an episode to like portend the 94 strike. Like, who cares? Oh. Like, just these guys are, like, flying around in spaceships. Battle aliens. Like, battle the Green Goblin. Like, I just felt like it was too grounded in weird sports. Or another one was, these people are trying to, t- they're dressing as ghosts to take over our golf course. Yeah. Like, okay, oh, the, okay. The, the, I have another golf. I can play the Masters on Michael Jordan. The Knight Rider episode, or I don't remember what the, yeah. Well, I, I, the whole premise of them, like, kids being able to contact them via some secret bat phone to ask for help. Their motto was, we help kids. But not with kid-like problems, usually with global conspiracies. They're, the splinter of the group is a character brilliantly named Mom, <laughs> because what <laughs> right. else are you going to call her, who was uh, the, the most uh, Yiddish uh, stereotype you can possibly find, which, a- it, to the point that it was... Border, it's borderline offensive. Bo- oh, okay, let's just stop right here. Um, problematic to a point that I had to stop and rewatch a particular scene a few times. So, Joe, we're gonna let's just go ahead and boot this up. Let's let the listeners decide what's what's problematic about this. 
Yeah, but there's more. Check out this boomerang puck. Wonderful! This way you'll never lose it and we'll save money. Oh, let me show both his Oh. Yeah. You didn't you didn't No. You didn't I hear didn't that catch the first that. time? Okay, so that's and now for our younger viewers, we have to we have to couch this a little bit where in the in the nineties and the eighties, I still feel like there were a lot of old stereotypes that you'd see on certain types of, of you know, sort of Agreed. post-vaudeville humor that had just stuck around forever. We have eradicated a lot of this from uh, from modern society. All right, so that's the mom character. And I, that's the only example I heard of that. It wasn't like every episode she was like, <laughs> you know, counting the, counting the money on the way home. She did really complain about digging up the car. Um, but then there's the sidekick, the Casey Jones character, this female. <laughs> And Adam's already laughing. Uh, so this is Mom's Apprentice. Her name was Denise. Uh, Denise, basically her job, she was apparently the tech expert. She created some of the um, sports-themed weapons <laughs> that the pro stars used. But more d- disturbing is she followed the pro stars from mission to mission constantly um, asking if she could help, and then would usually either get in the way or was unaffected. So, what'd you call her? Uh, by modern terms, you might call this a groupie, or in club terms, a bottle rat. Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> what is that? Bottle What's a rat? Bottle rat? So, a, no, a bottle rat. So, from all your experience at the club, you should know this. But in the VIP section. Um, you will have the person buying the liquor, and then you will have the girls in their short dresses with their glasses Or guys, out. or guys. Sure. Let's say for the purpose of talking about Denise in athletics and an athlete in the VIP section that you will have a girl with her glass out anytime bottle service shows up. And that's what, Brad, you will call a bottle rat. Okay, I don't get a lot of bottle service in my life, so I don't I don't know. But I I think they were I don't I don't think it was that scandal. I don't think there was an underlying current where they're like, hey, so they need a groupie. I think it was they wanted a female presence on the show. This was not a time where they were willing to take the step toward making a female one of the pro stars. Because oh, heaven forbid, a female athlete is like on par with them. I think. But conversely, if you look at the Ninja Turtles, you had a very strong female lead character in April O'Neil, a respected journalist, someone who um, was she a respected journalist? Well, she's a TV journalist, so as respected oh, as a TV Walter journalist Cronkite, can be. Walter Cronkite, though, it wasn't like. <laughs> April O'Neil is like... A respected local TV journalist, and I would argue on the movies, she certainly had more journalistic ethic than she did uh, in the cartoons. Regardless, yes, a very strong... In the movies where she's played by Megan Fox, is what you're saying. Uh, I was... I believe Paige Turco played her, and I don't remember who the original Yeah, Yeah, it's fine. No, I don't mean Megan Fox. That movie never happened, Brad, and if you bring it up again, I'm going to come across the stable. (laughs) Fair fair (laughs) enough. Uh, Attention, Sparkle Ponies, do not talk about the new Ninja Turtles movies to Adam. What did I just say? There is no Ninja Turtles movie. (laughs) Um, Well, Bo knows Ninja Turtles. That's all I know. How about this, that, too? This <laughs> slogan is, this was a commercial <laughs> slogan. It wasn't like when Bo Jackson was drafted, they were like, 
Bo knows, or that was a big thing at Auburn. This was a Nike commercial that became a huge phenomenon. And this show made no effort to not weave that into every episode. Uh, well, the, so right after the theme song, you see an introduction of the characters uh, where it says, uh, it starts with Bo Jackson, and it's Bo says, Bo knows cartoons. And then a little bit of jazzy music to Wayne Gretzky, Wayne's line, yeah. 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 And then to Michael Jordan, who apparently is only actual participation in this show because it appeared over and over, was J- Michael Jordan standing on the court saying, don't worry, pro stars on the way. And you can barely hear him. It's that, like, you know, there's like the, 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 there's the slow Jordan cadence. And then there's like the slow Jordan cadence that's a little too slow. And if the mic's not good, it just, it's like, don't worry, pro stars on the way. And you're like, wait, what, what? Michael, what? But that's clearly the only take they got with MJ. Because Bo and Wayne are sitting. So at the beginning of these shows, they're in the credits, it kind of like, they're sitting in separate rooms, clearly. And they're trying to like cut them together where they look like they're talking to each other. They're wearing their Pro Star jackets. That's right. They're wearing matching Pro Star jackets. Bo, Wayne, if either of you are listening, if you send us the Pro Star jacket, I will wear it every day for the rest of my life. I, I second that. <laughs> so Bo and Wayne, they're talking to each other. It's like the Brady Bunch, kind of like they're just looking at each other through the boxes and communicating. No sign of MJ. Like just, you could tell someone's like, MJ, um... Do you think we could get n- no, like just shut down, not not going to give you anything more than just my name and and like this, uh, and and the so part of the segment two with the two of them together was answering uh, fan questions and they were kind of dicks. So the one that sticks out to me, they were okay. Well, hold on, the one that sticks out to me was a kid asking an interesting question. Do you drive yourself to the game? And Wayne Gretzky replies, yeah, I drive myself to the game because walking would take too long. Dickish response. Bo Jackson steps it out, takes it a step further and was like, yeah, of course I do. How else do you think I get to the ballpark? <laughs> there is some 30-year-old now taking as much Xanax as it can possibly stomach because of this response from these dick faces. That's the guy from Making a Murderer. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's who he grew up to be. Look, they, they did it. They're all, they, you could tell that probably was like they, they had one day with, with Wayne. They had one hour with Wayne, one hour with Bo, where they were just like, hey, in episode 12, Bo is going to lead this off by saying, we're in the rainforest, and you're going to say, pretty hot in here, right, Bo? And they just just feeding these guys, like, take after take. And by the end, it's probably like, they're like, hey, now you need to answer this question. They had no idea the kids were going to ask these questions. So it's like, hey, I'm Billy. What, like, how do you get to the game? Like, okay, <laughs> get me out of here. This jacket is exhaustingly hot. I'll still wear it. Why is the door locked? How do I get out of this? <laughs> is Michael doing this? They told me Michael was doing this too. How come I'm not answering any it's, questions from it's Michael? It's like the movie room. <laughs> I just can't leave. Well, um, okay, here's the things I don't hold pro stars accountable for. I don't care that the animation isn't always the greatest. I don't care that they... Um, I don't care that... that, that the, it's cheesy and well-meaning because it's a Saturday morning cartoon. So they're saving the environment. Oh, I can't believe pros are so lame. Like they're showing eight-year-old kids 
that uh, they're saving the environment. And they got Wayne and Bo are legitimately giving a good like yes. good effort in the in the um uh in the intros. Bo Jackson is going for it in the intro. And he's like making faces, he's having fun. Joe's not, Joe Reed's not his head. He was. Great analysis, Joe I mean, Reed. These guys were <laughs> the almost they I, I agree with you. These guys are almost as heroic as Hammerman. Uh my other favorite Saturday morning cartoon. Uh, I'm guessing MC Hammer. He was a crime fighter. Dancing crime fighter. Dancing crime. Hammer. Can, I, can hammer we talk about man. something? Hammer. Hammer man. Adam, important question for the future of America. Will rappers dance again? Mm. Yes, I would say the genre of rap and hip hop uh, is slowly blurring into other genres. And so because of that and how terrible music is in general, yes, rappers will dance again. What's it going to take for a big hip hop? Okay, so Drake danced in the video, right? Like in the... Um, yeah, aren't rappers still dancing or you don't think rappers are dancing anymore? They're not dancing like choreographed productions oh, sure. like Hammer. If you were to say, oh, Drake... What's that song called? Um, Hotline Bling? Hotline Bling. Yeah. yeah. Joe Reed, arbiter Ooh. of all things hip hop. Thank um, you, Millennial. We needed you. <laughs> yeah, so baby. he's dancing in quite a bit in that. And it was, but it became an instant, like he was instantly mocked. You know, people are putting like Nintendo Wii's in his hand and they're just making him look so silly. But I, he doesn't care. He's Drake. It, I, I was like, great. He's dancing. Yeah. Like we're getting closer. But Hammer, you go right now and Google the end of Too Legit to Quit. It's like, uh, like a six minute choreographed dance. They bring on like little MC Hammer, the kid they're doing dancing. David Robinson throwing up too legit to quit in the back. Like, you know, hashtag uh, or, or shout out Shea Serrano. Like, just, I gotta say, <clears throat> this needs to rehappen. And I wanna know what's it gonna take for a rapper to go out on a limb and say, I'm bringing dancing back. Fix this, solve this. Whoa. It's gonna take this Kanye. If Kanye West was like, came out, glitter, and dance, like full on dance, everyone would be like, oh, he's doing this weird, like meta rumination on how the hip hop has progressed. No one would give him that hard of a time. Like if, if Wiz Khalifa all of a sudden decided, I'm going to dance like Hammer. I don't know that Kanye has, I mean, creatively, sure. I think he has that kind of cachet with the hip hop community. Um, but I don't know that he's a trendsetter that other rappers are looking to him and going, yep, I'm going to do that. I think if, if you had a guy like Jay-Z, someone unexpected, if Kanye danced, I would just be like, oh, what's he on today? If Jay-Z danced, now you're talking game changer. You know what it's going to take? It's going to, oh, go ahead, Joe. No, so I'm, we're conflating a little bit rappers and sort of hip hop artists. I'm not. Super familiar with MC Hammer's work. I know who he is. I've heard some of his songs. What Very comes seriously. to mind to me is like it. You heard some of his songs? Is like, what about like Usher? Like, he's not a rapper, no, but he's, he's definitely a dancer. He's a hip hop artist. But like, you don't see, I wouldn't he's see Jay Z. He's an RB artist. Yeah. That, yeah like, that's it. Yes. Important thing. Because he was pissed off right, when he was pissed off when um, Justin Timberlake got named king of the new king of pop by um, Rolling Stone. And then they said, well, you're the new king of RB. And he was like, uh, okay, he's, he's white, like, all right. he's white versus black. Essentially, is that <laughs> right. distinction. Also, I think there's a whole that whole segment of um, of performer probably goes up the gene, gene, genealogical tree to Michael Jackson more yeah. sure. than they would Sugar Hill Gang. It all it, started with James Brown, baby. 
You need to go buy. I didn't Please say Hammer, three. Don't hurt him right I just now. don't have it. I don't own I any own of his albums. I Ad- own the Adams Family Values song. Like Adams, uh-huh. they do what they want to do, say what they want to say, dance well, how they want to dance, I'll play how they want to dance. I bought uh, Deion Sanders' album "Primetime" that Hammer produced. It's the it's, Deion Sanders' album has legit great musical moments. One, Heidi, 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 hey, oh, I forgot. Heidi, 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 ho. Oh, yeah. So that song is great. Hasn't aged a day. It's gonna take anyway. Rappers dancing. It's gonna take a young kid who's like 13, who discovers this lost art, and he's going to start to put out like a U- like YouTube phenomenon, like um, <clears throat> like Gangnam Style. It's going to go huge, big. He's going to get a record deal, and before he knows it, he's going to be like, this is my thing. I'm the rapping dancer. And then a whole new generation is going to be like, we've never seen a rapper do this. This is awesome. And then they're going to go back and rediscover, whoa, like I went down this YouTube hole, and look what I found, like, MC Hammer's dancing and Vanilla Ice is dancing. Can I ask why this is... And Heavy D is dancing. Can I ask why this is important to you? Because rappers... When when rappers danced, I thought it was an interesting way for us to get to know their personality a lot more. And, and, and not all rappers have something to say. Like, Kendrick Lamar has great things to say, does awesome, interesting the performance art, in like at the Grammys and that kind of stuff that's making a statement on society. <laughs> Not everybody in the rap game has anything to say. So I would, I just had to get bored by hearing dudes just rap all the time. And I, I remember thinking like when you'd be listening to heavy D, he didn't have much to say, but at the end you get 45 seconds of heavy D busting out some big moves and you're like, yeah, looking good. Goody mob has a song about this, uh, called they don't dance no more. Uh, really? Where they examine, uh, people don't dance no more, all they do is diss. Examining the hip-hop culture. We I need less diss, more dance. Having Yeah, from having fun with hip-hop. Does this uh, make me ra- <laughs> Yeah, it just make me ra- I feel like this is the elephant in the room. Am I racist because I want rappers to dance? That you want black man to dance for your entertainment? <laughs> yeah, I mean, makes you a little bit racist. Well, <laughs> after you said that, I was like, I guess that did come out uh, quite a bit. Yeah. I, I'm like the mom of uh, I'm like the mom of the <laughs> show. Oh, hey, I'm just saving money. Oh, I'm getting hey guys, guys to dance for me. I have an idea. Let's have let's put together a video. I'll wear blackface. I don't like it. No, man. I didn't say anything about blackface. Okay, we had some fun with the the, the way the show has an age has age. I'm sure a lot of people would look at it and say. The show is, oh, this is cheesy or whatever. That's just the way cartoons were, man. This was for kids. Like, don't overanalyze it. They, the players had fun. Wayne and Bo gave great performances. I like in the they they tried in the in the lead up, and uh, I wish it had gone on for multiple seasons. I do too. And with that, we're gonna take a break. We'll be back after this. Joining us on the show now is Townsend Coleman. Even if you don't immediately recognize his name, you most certainly know his voice. Townsend is one of the most prolific voice actors in Hollywood and the man behind some of your favorite characters on shows like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Tick, Transformers, and many, many more. But even though he's played many great characters, today we're going to focus on his role as the Great One. Because back in 1991, he played a very hungry version of Wayne Gretzky in the Saturday morning cartoon Pro Stars. So Townsend, thanks so much for joining the show. How are you today? 
<laughs> thanks for having me. Uh, I'm great, thanks. And yeah, you say the the very hungry great one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Whoa. I got I got to start. Let, let's just go ahead and start um, with the the hardest question of all. We are serious journalists on this show. I I, I cannot pull punches. Did Wayne Gretzky did Wayne Gretzky ask you to tone down his Canadian accent? For the character, because you played him as as very much the uh, you know very much the uh, uh, outgoing exuberant uh, iconic hero, and then in his intros at the beginning, you know he's like he's a very soft spoken Canadian guy. He's not he doesn't have the action hero voice that uh, that he probably needed to uh, pull off the character. Well, and that's exactly what it was. Right. Um, you know, certainly nothing against Wayne, but uh, yeah, he he didn't ask me. In fact, I've never I never actually even met him. Oh yeah, um, working on the show. But the uh, the um, producers and uh, voice director of the show, uh, when we first started, I see because when I got the part, I was afraid that I was going to have to you know do a voice match for Wayne, and uh, and and start listening to his voice and cadence and accent and all that stuff. And they said, no, 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 you don't you don't have to do his voice. And I said, at all? And they said, no, not at all. I said, well, but what about the accent, the Canadian accent? Nope. <laughs> don't, don't, don't need to do it. And I said, why? And they said, because we just want him just to be a, a straight-ahead, guileless, you know, young sort of, uh, you know, mm-hmm. action. Uh, not superhero as such, but, uh, you know, just a, just a, a young guy with a, you know, with a lot of fun character to him. So that, that was that. So you were pretty established at this point. I believe you were already playing, like, um, you'd already done quite a, a lot of work uh, throughout the 80s. You you had kind of created the Michelangelo character on, on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which became such an iconic um, piece of sort of pop culture at that time. Did How did you hear about this opportunity? How was it brought to you? And what did you have high hopes for it, just knowing that it had so much star power sort of attached um, to the names? Well, um yeah, that is two parts to that question. First off, I I heard about it the way we hear about all the um, uh, gigs that we get. Um, they they were auditioning for it, right. and uh, so I heard about it through my agent. My agent uh, submitted me. They brought me in for it, and I got it. You know, so so it was sort of a a, a relatively simple process from from that standpoint. What was the audition um, like when did I, I did get? Sorry to interrupt. What was the audition like? Did you did you remember doing anything specific to bring the character to life or? Um, well, uh, yeah, the, the way it works is you go in uh, to a studio where they're, they're uh, holding the auditions. They hand you what are called sides. Those are uh, sample lines and scenes from the show. And uh, they show you a picture of the character. In, in this case, it was a, a cartoon character of Wayne Gretzky, <laughs> right. you know. But, uh, but you know, they, they'll show you a picture of the character, uh, give you some sample lines and a description of what the show's about. And so with those three elements, it'll give you an idea of kind of what a character might sound like to you, and then you bring that when, when you record. Um, so it was a pretty straight, you know, straightforward process in, in terms of how we get uh, animation gigs in, in Hollywood here. Um, when, I got the, when I got the show, I, yeah, I did have high hopes for it because, right. you know, these were... Are, you know, arguably three of the, the greatest, uh, you know, sports uh, heroes of the day. And, you know, you got Wayne Gretzky, Michael Jordan, and Bo Jackson. Good grief. And so uh, one of the things that I really liked about it is that they had described that this was going to be a show that was really meant to empower and not only inspire but empower kids mm-hmm. and with a really positive message, which I liked, you know, um, 
I had kids at the t- young kids at the time myself, and uh, and was was a little dismayed and disheartened by some of the animation that was starting to come along in those days. That was uh, you know pretty rude and mm-hmm. brash and and harsh um, to me at least you know uh, and and so when something like this comes along that's really wholehearted uh, and good-hearted and wholesome. Uh, I, w- I thought it was great, you know, so I did have high hopes for it. It was for NBC, you know, uh, you know, major network. And so, um, you know, I thought, uh, I thought the thing had legs and unfortunately we only went one season. Um, I, I, we, I, I, as I recall, I don't think we even went the full 13 episodes. I think they made a 13th episode out of clips from oh, prior shows. Yeah, that's right. Actually, it's a great memory. Yeah. All the episodes are online. Have you watched them since in recent years? I yeah, not recently. I I have looked at a couple of them from time to time. Um, you know, over the last couple of years, just out of curiosity. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I try and do is I try and get um, most of the series that I do that are available on DVD. Um, you know, just to have for my own right. You know, collection. Um, I'm not even sure if Pro Stars is available on DVD. I I do still have my jacket and my hat. <laughs> oh, you, so you have the jacket that like Wayne and Bo are wearing in the uh, in the intro segments in they the, did in the intros. Yeah, I've oh. got I've got that jacket. Yeah, and I've got the I've got the hat too. I don't know if they I don't recall if they show those in the intros or not. But so uh, I think they show some of the kids wearing them. Right, and like um, as you said, it, it's it's clear that you know they sort of taped. You know, some segments to the shows with Wayne and Bo um, separately. And those guys are giving it their all. I mean, I think they're they're trying to be funny. Um, they're having a good time. Michael seemed like maybe they got him once <laughs> after practice to talk uh, for, it, fi- for five it, seconds. Exactly, and shot, him, and shot him a few lines. Yeah, right. So right, right. what was their involvement like? You said you didn't, you said on the top you didn't meet them. I was wondering if they consulted at all, if you had to work with their agents on approvals, or were they just completely lending their names to this and, and doing, you know, sort of minimal stuff? And I don't know how into it or not into it they, they were. Uh, it seemed to me, like you just said, um, that, 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 uh, that Bo and, uh, and Wayne um, were certainly more involved because, as I recall, those opening uh, intro bits um, were mostly those two, and that the couple of times that Michael Jordan um, showed up, it, it, it is as if, like you said, they they caught him after a practice one day and <laughs> and just uh, threw him a few lines and said, "Can you just please film me?" <laughs> and uh, you know, so maybe not. I mean, I, I I can't I can't speak for them as that you know how into it and how into the show they were, and as far as whether or not they gave any um, feedback. Or uh, were consultants at all on the show? I I just I just don't know. Um, we never had the uh, the opportunity to to meet them. Uh, I was kind of always hoping that that we would, but uh, of course, you know, they were busy, famous uh, athletes and doing their thing, and we we're just you know lowly voice actors here in Hollywood, just re- recording. <laughs> Yeah, lines to, that somebody told us to say. And to be fair, I mean, they were at the peak of their fame. And Michael Jordan was just winning his first championship. Bo Jackson was everywhere. Wayne was, you know, had been traded to L.A. and was kind of charting a new course in the city there. So I don't. I, yeah. I think it makes sense though why they, you know, I I certainly wouldn't have expected them to be sitting over your shoulder um, at the at the voice recording sessions. You know, that's yeah. Said, no, uh, but at the very least, it would have been fun if we could have just gotten to meet them. You know, maybe they could have had a you know premiere. Uh, 
viewing party or something of, of the show, and we could have all hung out and um, you know talked uh, uh, golf. Yeah, well, if Wayne is listening to this, I'm going to uh, tell you right now, Wayne, you you owe Townsend an autographed hat or something. Like, <laughs> send it his way. Um, so let me ask yeah. you about the Wayne character. We mentioned before, he was the comic relief. Each of the guys had a, had a separate um, personality trait. Bo was kind of the, the, the big, muscular, strong man. Michael was the, the super genius. And Wayne was the comic relief, which I find funny because he was not known. I mean, he has a droll, kind of dry sense of humor, but he was not known as you know, someone like LeBron James, who's just like a, a, a crossover superstar of hilarity. Um, right. So what did you think, you know, what did you think when you saw the scripts and how to draw out that funny man persona for Wayne? How did you go about crafting it? Well, I, you know, I just approached it as, <laughs> I was going to say, I just approached it as if he were a funny guy. Um <laughs> No, but it, no, I mean, I just approached it as, uh, you know, as I would, uh, as if I had no idea who the guy was right? and, and, right. and, and just wanted to, you know, give it a, a, a good deal of energy and, uh, a youthfulness and, and, uh, and a fun life to it. Um, you know, as I would any other character, uh, you know, that was like that, you know, it, it's interesting because during uh, when we did that show, I think I got it because it came out in 91. And I, so I think we must've started it in 1990. And at that point, um, we had, I was already doing a teenage mutant Ninja Turtles. We had been doing that since 87. So we were about what, four seasons into it already. And the character that I did on that, Michelangelo was, you know, sort of the, the, the silly comic relief of, of that show as, as well. And and hungry all the time for pizza, <laughs> um, so it it did strike me that there was a you know sort of a, at least a passing similarity uh, to to the, uh, to uh, Ninja Turtles um, with with Wayne Gretzky in Pro Stars, and I I I thought that that was kind of interesting you know so it's it sort of made it uh, you know a little easy for me to just kind of be a, a, the same the same sort of guy just without the surfer dude accent, you know, right. Instead of, right. Whoa, dudes, we got to get some pizza. You know, it was, come on guys, we got to get some hamburgers. You know, <laughs> did you do your voice work? Do you, when you're doing that, do you do it alone? Or did you have a chance to develop kind of a chemistry and rapport with the fellow, um, actors who are doing Bo and Michael? Yeah, no, in that case, uh, in, in most cases with animation, uh, at least TV animation, as opposed to feature animation, um, they, they like getting all the actors in the studio, at least the ones that they can get into the studio, right. um, schedule wise, uh, they like getting them all together because there's a much different energy, um, you know, amongst the actors when you guys are all together, uh, and recording together. It was, um, uh, Dorian Harewood, who was Michael Jordan right. and, um, Dave, Dave Fenoy, uh, who was, uh, uh, Bo Jackson and, um, and Sue Silo, she played uh, mom in it. I have to ask, you mentioned the mom character. This was, it kind of struck me, honestly, the, the, the way she was portrayed, it, 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 very much from a, of a, like kind of a, another era. I don't think you would have seen that, that way she was, she was written by the writers today. Do you ever, do you ever when, you, when you go back and watch some of the earlier, um, uh, you know, sort of children's programming from 20, 30 years ago, do you ever kind of marvel at, at the, the, the way that our humor and our yep. sensibilities have evolved over the past 20 years or so? Yes. 
Yes, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. I mean, you see stuff, especially if you see stuff back from like the war era. Right. And, you know, uh, some of that stuff that you would never in a million years get away with today. That actually, when we did this in, in you know, 90 or so, um, that really was sort of on the back end of an of that era of cartoons, where cartoons were just that, really broad characters and very... Right very what we call cartoony you know um and 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 so this show was kind of right at the end of that era as we were transitioning into sort of what i think of as like the modern era of cartoons in the last 20 25 years um yeah you you'd you, you'd never get away with something you know whenever i audition for something now they always you almost always see on the on the casting specs it says not cartoony Right. You know, so you know what that means. It's not going to it's not they're not going to have these real broad, you know, stereotypes like that. Um, you know, they they may be broad characters, but it's it's going to be sort of a different type of broad. You know, it's not going to be the it's not it's they're going to avoid stereotypes. I should ask you, you you voiced the the Teen Wolf on Teen Wolf. Who's the better athlete, yeah. Teen Wolf, the basketball player, or Wayne Gretzky, the hockey player? Who's the better cartoon athlete? Well, since uh, since it's more likely that Wayne would hear this than than Teen Wolf, <laughs> I'm gonna say Wayne. <laughs> that's that's now, fair. Say, Wayne's the better basketball player, and Teen Wolf's the better hockey player. How about that? <laughs> yeah, there we go. And then you I know, guess I, it's it's funny. It, it's funny, Brad, when you you bring up Teen Wolf, and I was thinking. I just I just did a, a panel this last week at a WonderCon, and you know when I think back at, on some of the stuff, that, some of the cartoons that I used to do, uh, like like Teen Wolf and Pro Stars and Where's Waldo, and so you know you say you know because when people hear that you do a cartoon voice, they go, oh, do the voice, do the voice, you know, and with Michelangelo, it's easy, you know, with the tick, it's easy, but but you know you get to like. Like Teen Wolf and and, uh, and Pro Stars, Wayne Gretzky and and uh, Where's Waldo? I did the voice of Waldo on that. Right. Um, they all sound exactly the same. <laughs> and it's just it's it, it's just it's just me, you know, being that young. Because all they wanted on Pro Stars, they wanted him just to be straight ahead, young, yeah. guileless, um, just a real up, positive uh, guy, you know, but almost sort of a generic guy. I mean, they didn't want. Anything that would be that would be you know really identifiable uh, vocally uh, as Wayne Gretzky. So I know that you didn't you didn't have this particular part long like you would you know something like Michelangelo um, or some of the other characters you played. But when you reflect back on portraying you know one of the greatest athletes in in you know the history of the world, um, what is that like personally? Sort of how does it resonate with you? Just kind of looking back on the experience. Well, it's 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 a it's a very cool experience to to have been a part of because because it, just simply because it's iconic. Wayne Gretzky right. is iconic. You know, you feel connection to the the character that you right. play. So when it's right. a real life superhero like that, you know, and a and a, and a, and a superstar athlete, um, it's just it's just a very cool thing. You know, you, you, when when people ask you you know what you do and you say, well. I I'm a voice actor. Oh, really? Like what? And I, well, you know, like network promos and cartoons and commercials and stuff. Cartoons, really? Well, anything I've heard of. And you go, 
yeah, Michelangelo and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. What? You know, and, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Wayne, Gretz, Wayne Gretzky on Pro Stars. What? You know, they, they, they immediately know who that is. And, you know, there's just a, a cool factor, you know, in, in, involved with that. It, it just feels pretty awesome. One of the interesting things about, about um, Pro Stars being on NBC is that, and, I, and I'll give you just a little quick bit of trivia here, is that um, is, uh, uh, Dorian Harewood, the guy who did Michael Jordan yep. on, on uh, Pro Stars, uh, is the voice on all the drama promos on NBC now. Oh, so, so anytime you watch NBC and you and you hear a drama a promo for one of their drama shows, like uh, tonight Doria. on Chicago PD, on all like Ex- that, exactly, awesome. exactly, yeah, yeah. So that's Dorian. You know, you can say, "Oh, hey, that's Michael Jordan <laughs> from Pro Stars." <laughs> that that is and, a and, fantastic bit of information to relay. My wife watches all the yeah. NBC dramas like that take place in Chicago. Yeah. Ah. Amazing. Well, we'll, we'll get so then get this. So in so I did Pro Stars in in ninety one, um, or it was on in ninety one on because you were doing the NBC mm-hmm. must see TV promos right during the nineties. Exactly. So so two years later, I get this freak audition for uh, NBC, and for their their the first promo they did for their campaign they were starting called Must See TV, and and I ended up getting it, and it went on in the air that night, and they ended up hanging on to me for 16 years. Right. Uh, I did all the the musty, I did all the comedy promos for NBC for 16 years up until 2009. My last day was actually September 11th. This is the 9/11 of 2009. Wow. And. Um, and then, and then, uh, let's see, twelve thirty-four. So then, uh, September fourteenth was the day the new guys were going to start, and one of those new guys was Dorian. So, so I, my last night was on Friday, September eleventh, and his first night was was Monday, September fourteenth. So it was like there was this pro stars. Uh, kind of t- passing of the baton <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> on, on NBC when we had been on NBC uh, together as a cartoon. So that was kind of fun. It, it's it's am- it's amazing. Like okay. just to hear to hear the 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 lasting imprint that Pro Stars has, has made. I we can't thank you enough for joining the show. I mean, and giving us all this time. Um, so. You know, again, we encourage all of our um, listeners to go onto YouTube, go go watch some of the old episodes, have some fun with it. It's a, it's a great kind of window into the past, and we really appreciate you coming on our show to talk about it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks, a lot of fun. Thanks, guys. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you. Would you Would you mind doing like a drop for us? We're huge TMNT fans. Would it be possible to do it as Michelangelo? Oh, of course. Okay, let's do that. Let's do it. Hey. It, it's Michelangelo. You're listening to Just Not Sports, you know, like stick around or whatever you want to do. Oh, dudes, Michelangelo here from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, just down here in the sewer kicking it, and you are listening to Just Not Sports. Bodacious Cowabunga! Today's show is sponsored by The Weatherneck. We spend a lot of time around athletes and super active people, and two things really stand out to us. They love staying active outdoors all year round, and they need quality equipment to do that. Enter The Weatherneck. The Weatherneck is a modern take on the bandana that's quick, quiet, clean, and comfortable, and it's designed specifically for performance outdoors. It features high-tech fabrics and powerful magnets that make it today's outdoor bandana, 
and it's comfortable. The center mesh section allows for full breath when active outdoors, and the wicking fabrics eliminate the nasty soaking wetness that can bunch up in fleeces. Everyone knows what it's like to put on like a knit scarf, try to be on a bike out in the cold. It's just awful. Your face gets super wet. And it's super convenient. It removes in one second with one hand. That's amazingly helpful if you're on the bike, on the run, or just outdoors doing your thing. I know the guys who created this. They are super smart, super passionate, the types of people I would trust. Go to theweatherneck.com for more information or to place an order, theweatherneck.com. All right, that is our show for this week, a jam-packed show. And if you didn't like what you hear, just remember the words of Malcolm Jenkins about bow ties. The beauty is in the imperfection, my friends. Thank you to all of our listeners. Subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at Just Not Sports. Email us tips, thoughts, or topics, justnotsports at gmail.com. want to give a couple of shout-outs to close it out. I'm going to give a shout-out to Nat Borchers and um, all of the wonderful Portland Timbers uh, PR staff who helped set up the interview. Uh, really enjoyed breaking down real estate. The guy certainly knows what he's talking about. Is a, uh, a Microsoft Excel ambassador, spreadsheet enthusiast. Knows the numbers. That was a lot of fun. I also want to give a shout-out to Townsend Coleman, the voice of Wayne Gretzky. I had a lot of fun kind of talking to him and, and really diving into the, the process of making the show. And I think he gave some great perspectives about, yes, the content hasn't necessarily aged that well. It was a different era. It was a bygone era. It was good to, to hear the story behind the stuff that we look at on, online as being kitschy. Uh, but really, um, with more perspective, you get a better sense of what was happening at the time. So, Joe Reed. Any shout-outs? Yeah, I'm going to go big picture here and say shout-out to Brad, Adam, and Gareth. Um, I remember having conversations in your office, what, 22 weeks ago about let's do this thing, we're going to make it happen, and just having to pull the trigger and get it off the ground. It's come together so well, and it's been fun to to grow along with the podcast now that we're 20-plus episodes in. So... uh, so shout out to you guys for like grinding and, uh, too, and just, just making making shit happen. It's been a fun ride. Also, I want to give a shout out to a good friend, awesome designer, Kyle Brasky. Uh, you you may have seen our thumbnail for this week's episode or the image attached of, of Nat uh, closing a deal on that beautiful uh, unicorn, flying unicorn, a Pegasus? I don't know. But uh, thanks to Kyle for, for helping out with that. He's an awesome guy, good friend. Just wanted to give him a shout out. Absolutely. Seconded. Seconded. Great job, Kyle. Adam, take us home, buddy. Any shout outs? I want to shout out Joe Reed. Um, mm-hmm. Golf clap. Joe Reed is quif- quickly becoming the Steph Curry of the team. Uh, when he came in early on in his career, you thought, hey, you know, pretty good utility player, got a nice outside jumper. And then you slowly saw him blossom into a superstar we are witnessing history in the making so shout out to you joe reed i'm i have no words i i'm so appreciative That's, joe thanks so much joe you always keep the blood in the gatorade <laughs> all right adam any other shout outs um you know i kind of like to say shout out to uh my boy uzi jeff jeff the legend little swanee Meech, Ron Mack, and my grandfather, uh, wait, 
No, it. Your your other cousin Ron. My other cousin Ron. Love those guys. Thank you for all you do every week, guys. And in the immortal words of newly minted Hall of Famer Shaquille O'Neal, booty rappers, stay booty. <laughs> <laughs>